0: The world as we know it has fundamentally changed. What was once considered the future of work is here now. We are operating in an all-digital, work-from-anywhere world. More and more consumers are supporting brands that align with their personal values. It's the values-driven firms that will rebound sooner and grow faster in this new world. Salesforce has partnered with Singapore Community Radio to bring you this podcast. We want to explore the opportunities and the challenges of this new world. We want to talk about the ways in which we will work going forward, how businesses can be a platform for change, and how technology will continue to impact the world. We have some amazing thought leaders, executives, and community advocates joining us, and we hope it sparks some inspiration and innovation for you. To learn more about us, you can head to our blog at salesforce.com slash AP slash blog.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of Digital Imperative here with Salesforce. And I'm really excited to have CMO of Salesforce here in Asia, Wendy Walker with us. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Simone. Lovely to be here. Lovely to see you. It is fantastic to have a woman who is such an advocate of so many things that I love, on this i know we are talking digital imperative but there are there are so many hats that you wear that i think would just be so fascinating for people so your role at salesforce you're leading marketing um but you also have a role leading the equality um uh, chair of the marketing society for asia as well so this is um a lot how did you get into marketing but then how also did you become an advocate for equality Yeah, look, thanks, Simone. Um, You're right, I do juggle a lot of hats, but look, I
2: absolutely love it. Um, I've been in CMO-type roles now for well over a decade, which is a bit scary. Uh, But so, so something that's really important to me is having the opportunity to contribute now to not just the broader marketing community, but also to the careers of the next generation of marketers. And that's what I get really passionate about. Um, I've been a little bit about me and my background. I suppose I've been proud to call Singapore home now for eight years, and we do have so much great young talent here. Um, and I think you know the Singapore marketing landscape is one of the most diverse and dynamic, and it's really full of innovation, which really excites me as well. I've been with Salesforce now for just over two and a half years, and. Look, I think I really felt like I found my people, you know, when I joined this incredible organization. And one of the wonderful things about my role is not only do I get to be really hands-on in my contribution leading the talented Asia marketing team, but also have the opportunity to really fulfill my passion around equality as the leader of our quality group, the Salesforce Women's Network for Asia. So it sort of combines these Mm -hmm. two areas that I'm passionate about beautifully. Um, I am absolutely a marketer at heart, and I've been really fortunate to work across a number of different industries in my career. But what I really love about the tech industry is it's just ever-changing, you know, it's um, it's ever-progressing. And I've got no doubt, those last 12 months in particular, this industry has become even more critical Um I think I've always been an advocate of being, you know, customer centric. And look, many companies try, uh, but very few achieve it in my humble opinion. So another reason I really feel like I'm within the right environment at Salesforce is You know, look, our our CEO started the company 22 years ago on the belief that business is the greatest platform for positive social change. And so that really reflects in what we do. We're constantly looking at ways to to give back to our communities and we're constantly looking for ways to contribute to our customers and help them grow and succeed. And so for me personally, it's a wonderful environment to environment to operate in where we're actually putting the customer at the center of all of our decisions and the campaigns that we take to market. So that's really my, my day job, I guess. Um, (laughs) And then I also became involved with the marketing society a couple of years ago, and I'm very proud to now be the marketing society chair here in Singapore. And look, as a senior marketer, again, it's just a, a wonderful opportunity for me Uh, through this role to have a really positive impact on the community through, you know, our thought leadership programs and just making a contribution to the industry. But I guess my most important job, of course, is being mum. I'm a single mum. I have an incredible 10 and a half year old son, and I'm very proud of the young man that he's growing into. And I really couldn't think of a better environment to raise a child than here in Singapore, because there's so much diversity of culture and thought. And I can see this really having a positive effect on him as he grows and sort of shapes his views and aspirations. So, you know, the multiple hats can be a a challenge at times, but I'm just so grateful for the opportunities that I have as part of these. And, you know, as I said, deep down, I love to feel like I'm making a difference and really contributing.
1: Wow, that is a very full schedule. Like my mind just went from all of the different things that you're doing and good on you for still making extra time to contribute to like the marketing side is not a profit making enterprise, you know, it's to enrich and give back to marketeers, to a community. And I love what you said there about you found your people. And in the work that I do, Wendy knows that outside of connecting with you like this, I speak on connection and they talk about one of the biggest um, forms of loneliness that people feel they lack is called collective loneliness. And this is where people feel they don't have a group of people that share their same mission or purpose. And I think you've really tapped into something in the way that you've architected your life to make sure that that purpose um, is always there. And I'm sure it, it, it flows on into everything you do from work to being a mum. It's just incredible, incredible. So obviously we're here to talk about digital imperative, the pace of business in the last 12 months has left all of us breathless. I just napped in the cab on the way here to see you. Um, how do you sustain the energy to cover all of those different roles that we were just talking about? Like what is your self-management? Um, yeah. How, how do you recharge yourself and how do you manage all those roles, your energy for them?
2: It's a really, really good question. And I, sometimes days I think I'm winning and some days I don't think I am because it really is a challenge. Let's, let's be truthful. I think Not only to care for your people as a leader, but also just to manage yourself and ensuring that you personally stay energised. And this is actually something I've been spending a lot of time talking about with my team um, and the broader Salesforce community lately. You know, we've all had, regardless of our job, a full year now of a lot of uncertainty. And we all know the stress and impact this pandemic's had on, on so many and I think planning for the future can actually be really difficult. And so whilst we all recognise that importance of having, you know, the long-term view or the long-term strategy, there really is still so much uncertainty. And I think many of us are not only just trying to predict the future in relation to our jobs but and what we need to deliver, but also in our personal lives. And I think it's that mix of predictable with unpredictable mm-hmm. that makes it especially challenging sometimes to be able to see that path forward and it just takes more energy, right? So in terms of managing it, I think the very first important thing is to acknowledge it and, you know, acknowledging some of that exhaustion, the the difficulty in maintaining energy and the the sheer length of time. We've all been having to deal with the word pivot for a start, <laughs> but it's, um, but it's also, you know, for my team, it's the working and reworking of plans as the world situation change and it just keeps changing. It's, it's been a really long year and, and let's face it, it's been exhausting for all of us. So, as a leader, I see it's my responsibility to keep myself in check first, um, as well as then try and provide some practical ways for my team to manage through the situation. And you know, one approach I've taken is, you know, first of all, to ensure that as a team we're all aligned in terms of giving each other permission to focus on making sure that we're all looking after ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a really fundamental but important first step because it's not just about me encouraging them. They have to each actually support each other in their own wellbeing as well. So I try to encourage my team every time I speak to them to carve out time for themselves, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, you know, doing something that brings them joy or gives them energy. And we've been speaking about you know identifying what are those things or those tasks or activities that that drain us and what are the tasks and activities that give us individual energy because once you understand that you can act on it and it absolutely lowers stress levels um and and helps increase your own mental well-being absolutely yes for instance someone um you know, in the team, keeps a painting easel nearby. And so she will go and spend those 15-minute blocks that she can find throughout the day just painting, right? And that de-stresses her, but she also draws energy from that. Um, you know, others like I, we were just talking earlier, I've got two little rescue cats that, um, get a lot of my attention and quite often I can't take, you know, 90 minutes to go and do a a yoga class, unfortunately, but I can take 15 minutes away from my computer to go spend time with them. And that brings me joy and gives me that energy. And so I think, you know, finding those micro moments to sort of re-energize and renew, um, several times throughout the day. It's just a great strategy to make sure we don't burn out because there's, you know, there's always business goals. There's always deadlines. But again, as a leader, I I'm, I make it a point, I suppose, to also try and preempt a lot of activity or a lot of workload that is coming and try and you know, pre-prepare the team so they can complete things in a, mm-hmm. a logical flow because I think that also helps with energy and and how you can draw it. And, look, I can think of lots of examples, and I'm not perfect. I've definitely been um, learning over the last 12 months as well as how to lead really effectively in this in this virtual way. But I think more important than anything is just being, you know, authentic and vulnerable and empathetic. Yeah. It's, it's it's hygiene to being a good leader. Um and, you know, I think is it's just – and I believe as a leader, you know, none of – being vulnerable or being empathetic does not impact your business results. In fact, I think it's the exact opposite. The teams that I see – that are really being led with permission to focus on their well-being with empathy are the ones that are performing incredibly well and are really achieving that innovation. And it's um, actually innovation is something I'd love to talk a little bit more about as well.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, well, you can't have, you can't be creative when you're burnt out. I think you make a really good point there about those micro moments and knowing what makes you happy and what, makes you recharge. It's actually when I first went to see a counselor, it's one of the first things she asked me to write down what were the things that actually made me happy. And this is like seven years ago where we weren't talking openly about these things. And now it's such an incredible tool because every time you're on that precipice, you can just go and grab those tools and recharge yourself. And the idea about compassionate leadership as well. Some days it's also okay if you don't want to do the yoga class. Like I, I, I fell asleep on the cab on the way here. I'm not going to be doing my workout today. (laughs) I booked a massage instead, like saying sometimes it's okay because our, with this digital transformation, our, our, our lines are so blurred. Um, our lives have really, really, um, really, really just gone in a different direction. So a little bit more on the importance of innovation that you wanted to touch on. Yeah, look, I
2: think, you know, and this is particularly from a marketing perspective. Um, and one of the reasons I really try and encourage my team to take those breaks is because we need to be innovative. Right. And, you know, I think we've all now seen that change can come from absolutely anywhere, (laughs) and it dramatically has impacted all of us and the way we all do our jobs. And so I think being innovative and being able to adapt quickly has absolutely proven to be the, you know, the secret source to surviving. And the more adaptable and resourceful your teams can be, the better your chance of getting business success as well. And I think, you know, it's such a great time for us to really embrace innovation and experimentation and agility. And, you know, I think whilst we're seeing that our teams are able to be more agile probably than ever, given the 12 months we've been through, um, innovation is so important because it can absolutely give you the competitive edge, right? And I think we all know that. But what I... What I actually think many leaders forget is that one of the key important ingredients to achieving real innovation is diversity around that diversity of thought, you know, a thought to challenge ideas and then propel them forward, but diversity of perspective as well. And that really only comes from having that inclusive culture where everyone's made to feel like they have a voice. So with my equality hat on, I really want to emphasise that diversity and inclusion are not just nice to have considerations. They absolutely drive greater innovation and collaboration and they can have a major impact on your business. And one of the silver linings over the last 12 months and perhaps having more opportunities to collaborate globally um, and sitting on Zoom calls all Mm -hmm. day, but we've had so much great perspective and so much um, diversity of thought going,
1: contributing to yeah. some you know, major innovations. And I think that's incredibly valuable. It is incredibly valuable. I have worked in an organisation where um, we were actual people of colour. However, there was not diversity of thought. When you talk about diversity of thought, we're talking about people not just of different colours, but different genders, different socioeconomic backgrounds, all of these things in a VUCA world, in a problem-solving moment, having someone think differently to you, I, I, it's so important. I've sat at some dinner tables lately and, you know, the table was almost split. Half of the table was people with this same – age group, same background, same income, having strongly different views from the people on the other end of the table. And then an almost, um, you could be sitting in two different worlds depending on which side of the table you sat on. And you think, wow, that, that, that's like a microcosm of what happens in corporations when there isn't diversity. It's not just something like you said, nice to stick on there and say, Hey, we're doing it. Um, it actually does lead to results. So bravo to you. Um, so, I would like now like from the uh, diversity conversation to go to equality how did that passion for equality start right well look it's
2: always been something that i i have been incredibly passionate about and i think as a marketer i'm just naturally curious you know about all human beings what, what makes us different how we interact and you know i really love having the opportunity to be surrounded by that vast diversity of thought But like many of us, I think, you know, I've certainly had situations throughout my career where I have not experienced equality. And I've also witnessed moments where colleagues have not experienced equality. And I think that um, experiencing those moments has really driven me to try and find a solution for for this problem and to contribute wherever I can. Um, so I guess as I've, as I've progressed throughout my career, I've been more and more passionate about, um, you know, being able to support everyone in the workplace and particularly help where I can in that sort of guidance or mentoring or navigating to get to a better outcome of, you know, hopefully equality for all at some point. Um, what I love about our Salesforce Women's Network, which I'm very, very privileged to lead, it started as a grassroots vehicle within Salesforce for women just supporting one another but now it's evolved over the years into this global sophisticated team that brings women and allies, you know, under this single umbrella with a real focus on nurturing and growing equality within Salesforce. Um, and, you know, what again, finding my people at Salesforce, uh, equality is one of our four core values. So I'm definitely aligned to that. And our office of equality um, does an incredible job of ensuring that it's kind of top of mind for all employees. I think, you know, if I look at equality through a marketer's lens as well, you know, I'm acutely aware of the powerful impact that mm-hmm. marketing and advertising can have on society. And I've been really intentional and quite vocal, I must say, over the <laughs> I years. love a vocal woman. You're my, you're my people. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, just about ensuring that the messages that we send to market as marketers truly represent the communities that we're serving as a brand. And particularly that can come to light even more obviously if you're located in Asia but your, you know, the the foundation of your organization is not in Asia, and I think you can read between the lines what I mean there. You know, you, we want to make sure that we are communicating to the richness of tapestries, as I call them, that we have in our incredible region. You know, all of the different races, genders, sexualities, abilities. It's it's just so important that people mm-hmm. get to see themselves reflected in in popular culture, which we know advertising does play a role yeah. in. Because, you know, when we see ourselves in whether it's uh, characters or images around us, it really helps us to feel seen and heard and and hopefully empowered and inspired as well. And I think, you know, it's not, it's no longer just about seeing people who look like us. People are now really wanting more and more that sort of authentic representation of the world that celebrates all the ranges of diversity So I think as marketers, we can actually, you know, impact the different societies and communities definitions of, you know, different things. Like what does a doctor look like? What does a surgeon look like? What does love look like? What does an athlete look like? You know, we can actually help Mm -hmm. define that and make sure it's an equal and inclusive uh, playing field. Um, I'm lucky enough to do a lot of judging for many of the major advertising awards and my favorite category by far is creative effectiveness because I love seeing amazing creative being directly linked to the business bottom line. And time and time again, I've sat in a jury room awarding great creative that's been built on this foundation of diversity and challenging stereotypes. And as a result, it delivers incredible results to the business. And so as marketers, we, we absolutely have the power to not only influence society's, uh, you know society around us, but to help change mindsets and in sort of empower the next generation. And I think, you know, if you're creating work that has that lens of diversity and equality, that it's not just, you know, as I said, not just important for future generation, it actually makes really, really good business sense as well. I'll get uh, off my soapbox now. No,
1: no, I <laughs> just love, look, I need to backtrack view where you said, you know, represent how we cast people in adverts and And corporations, if their head offices are not in Asia, but they're creating creative for Asia. I was at Parkway Parade walking past a very well-known Australian um, juice company. And having lived in Australia, it was really obvious to me that they had cast some Asian-Australian models. When I say models, just, you know, normal people sipping on their juices. But as a woman who's genetically Singaporean, born here, lives here has Singaporean friends. I know all my friends are not going to look at that and go, that's a Singaporean Chinese woman. We all know that that woman is not from here because of how she dresses, what her hair's like, um, the styling. And so I think that's a really great example of instead of endearing me to that brand, it actually alienated me from that brand. It's actually one of my partner's favorites to get juice from. But I was like, oh, that they didn't care enough to do a shoot here for us that that's how I felt. And um, that's how people of color do feel. So sorry, I just have to get on my soapbox. We, we want new, new, we want nuances in campaigns and advertising. And I think it's so wonderful that you've stressed for marketeers that your voice does matter because you are the lens with which things are getting produced. So you're, you and know, you're one mom, of the filters.
2: You know, as a mum, I'm thinking about what my son sees as every other you know parent around the world is looking at their children and what advertising their children sees and what's, how is it shaping them? You know, yeah. and it's, it's just super important. Yeah.
1: Oh God. The advertising went in the two thousands for me. It was just like the Paris Hilton era. It was, it, it was extremely influential because there was no Instagram. We were all looking at outdoor campaigns and bus stops and things like that. It's incredibly powerful. So over the last year, we have all had to adapt to new ways of working and personal connection has changed. You and I love talking about human connection. It's our our favorite point. As a leader, how has this impacted your role, how to lead and work in a more virtual world?
2: Yeah, look, you know, it is challenging, as I mentioned before, but I definitely sit in the camp of believing that human connection is absolutely possible to achieve in this new virtual world of ours. You know, I know a lot of people, um, I hear a lot of opinions around, oh, that that type of meeting just can't happen virtually. And, you know, I will always say, well, I think it's how you, how you are present in that meeting is mm-hmm. the most important. Um, so let me talk a little bit about how I lead in the virtual world, and I'll try and, and try and achieve that personal connection. You know, I mentioned earlier that we've been, I find it really helpful to try and identify what energizes you and what drains you as an individual and something that really energizes me spending time with my team. And I've been very conscious of trying to be in the moment with them whenever I'm, um, whenever we meet. So, so that I can, I do, I can actually do my best to connect with them through the laptop, Camera, and that means for me no multitasking, which I must admit I am very guilty <laughs> of. Um, but it means I need to 100% focus on them, their body language, and use that time to not only try and contribute to their day, but at the same time, draw energy from actually being connected with them because I know that it gives me energy. Um, and look, I, I hope I'm succeeding, but I'm also very uh focused on continuing to learn to how to navigate leading this way because i think if you're not dedicated to achieving that personal connection through a laptop mm-hmm. camera then you can fail dismally and we've all sat in those zoom meetings where you feel you might be 40 people but you feel very isolated because I think nobody is engaged
1: or nobody turns their camera on i've been yes. in a few of those and been like i came ready i was so embarrassed i came in like my camera was on everyone's were off and and nobody wanted to say well we don't really put in our office we don't put the camera on no one wanted to say that but it was very clear to me um and so I turned mine off it was a really awkward experience actually yeah Yeah.
2: I think um you know in terms of my role as a marketer and I sort of spoke about you know the DNA of a marketer so that natural curiosity and, and willingness to study uh, you know, behavior and understand how to influence them, potentially change that behavior. I think that in itself is is more valuable than ever to businesses right now because it actually gives us the ability to help steer the ship as different businesses recover and grow. So it's more important than ever for us as marketers to stay connected to our customers. Yeah. But at the same time, it's become tougher than ever. Um, you know, I've spoken a lot about empathy and I'm sure it won't be the last time we use that word, but, that really extends to how we can achieve a real connection with our customers and that ability to show them that we care just through the messages and and campaigns that we send to market. You know, I think like a lot of other CMOs, when the pandemic first emerged over a year ago now, there was that immediate need to stop everything, sort of re-examine all our existing um, messaging and advertising and really question, is any of this relevant? Is this adding any value at all to our customers right now given what they are experiencing And I think, you know, consumers are are now demanding an approach as well that really demonstrates that a brand is in touch with them, is connected to what's happening for them wherever they are. And so understanding how this pandemic has changed the consumer mindset really then can help Mm -hmm. us step into their shoes and sort of create that valuable communication And I think digitally, we've seen, you know, such acceleration of adoption and such growth in some industries. I mean, you know, standout is obviously e-commerce and particularly in our region. When you think of what I find fascinating is all of our local and cash-based businesses, particularly in some of our ASEAN countries, which have been almost totally cash-based traditionally, suddenly needing to pivot, there's that word, to digital almost overnight, right, to survive. And so all of those traditional marketing touch points as we knew them have just been completely redefined and so knowing and you know connecting with your customer is definitely more challenging and it's really I guess highlighted the need for for brands to have the right tools and technology um, you know in place to not only reach their customers where they are but also meet their new expectations around these personalized experiences it's it's increasingly for us about finding that balance between personalization and automation, because there's yeah. more content than online than ever before. <laughs> and that's all being boosted by more and more uh, digitally focused budgets. So it takes a mammoth effort to yeah. ensure your brand has a share of the audience that you need to reach. And I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon, you know, it's, um, it's not going to reverse. So it's, it's sort of very important now to focus on building those sustainable capabilities within the team to deliver those personalised experiences. One, think, of
1: th- um, oh, sorry. On. one of the things I've really learned from speaking to a lot of Salesforce's clients who've been guests also on the podcast is about how important um, to businesses that data is that you get from those experiences so that you, so on the one hand, yes, so important to have human connection and to understand um To be interested in people, like you've just said, like you need, basically, you want to have customers, you got to at the baseline, at least least be interested in people, not just about earning money, right? But how that marries in this new environment um, with the information that you can get because people have pivoted online. So you've got all this new ways of creating experiences for people. I just think it's fascinating Fascinating. It is.
2: And, you know, I think Salesforce is quite well known for the incredible event experiences that we provide. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm kind of proud to say now that I was, I was our, sort of our first leader globally to cease our face-to-face events because we could see things changing. Mm-hmm. And I just decided, you know, particularly a lot of travel throughout um, our ASEAN region. I just decided I didn't want to put any of my team or any of our agency partners at risk, so let's just cease them. And that meant having to, again, pivot, right, Uh, (laughs) overnight into trying to recreate these experiences digitally. And it's been an incredible 12 months of, um, as I said earlier, experimentation and being agile and learning and just continually trying new approaches. And I think we're really succeeding now and getting some, um, incredible feedback from people that are attending our new digital experiences uh, compared to, you know, who have probably been to our live events in the past and um, and we're trying to replicate those. But, yeah, it's been incredible 12 months for learning, that's for sure.
1: You, you know, the success of your virtual events have been crazy. Salesforce Live last year, I remember seeing a tweet that it was viewed like 9 million times. So if you think about... Um, the possibilities that this new landscape gives us versus, you know, how much work it has to be to transform the possibilities once we're virtual and doing it the right way, still connecting with people, not losing that at the heart of it. it, it it's incredible. Absolutely incredible.
2: Just reskilling as well, you know, reskilling within our immediate teams with existing resources. Again, yeah. people that may have come from events backgrounds are now running digital events and that's a whole new skill set. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, there's been so much learning for everybody, and I think, you know, I've spoken with a lot of CMOs over the last um, twelve months as well, and I think we all recognise that our team's ability to relate and, you know, empathise with our consumers and provide accessibility that we hadn't thought of before and execute you know in different ways has absolutely accelerated and I think all of these skills that they've learned are going to play a significant role in you know the future as well Um, and so I think as leaders we just have to continue to inspire and encourage our teams and and hopefully um, we'll all emerge better marketers and better leaders.
1: So Wendy you're a marketer at heart what do marketers need to do to be the change they want to see in the world?
2: Well, look, I think I've always been a believer that marketing and advertise really can have a positive impact on society and we've spoken a little bit about that. But that's something that really guides me and it's just one of the reasons I'm actually really excited about the next 12 months. I, I do look back at the year 2020 as a huge gift to us as marketers because I think it has accelerated beyond a doubt all of our professional development and I think many of us have emerged with not just better empathy but better marketers as well. And I think, you know, I spoke about that DNA of marketers. It really enables us to contribute in such a a wide range of aspects to our brands. Um, You know, customers are now clearly choosing companies that do more than just make a profit. And, you know, we've been speaking about empathy. You know, customers are looking for brands that they can not only connect with but actually feel really good about supporting. And where brands are showing acts of good, they're going to be remembered, particularly if it's done with authenticity. And I think that really demonstrates to customers whether a relationship with them is genuine. It's a time when we can play a key role in providing messages that can inspire and uplift and, and hopefully drive some action. So I think getting back to the DNA, you know, it's our ability as storytellers that provides so much opportunity to share those stories of courage and compassion and resilience that we're all seeing and that can really inspire our audiences. Um, I think that time to use, you know, the ability to use your inner voice and intuition and that years of experience has never been more important to sort of guide decisions. And we've been using this phrase within my team at Salesforce where we want to be more than ever personal, not just personalised. And I think that really echoes the sentiment that we've been trying to achieve because we want our customers to feel like we care because we absolutely do. And I think if sometimes brands globally took a pause sometimes and just reflected on even just that thought alone, we would find a lot more empathetic approaches out in market. Um, Something that's been really reassuring to me in our region is talking to fellow CMOs is that we all have this much stronger focus on supporting our people and supporting our customers and our communities. And so for a lot of brands that have remained really centered on that and representing the communities they serve, um, they're the ones that you know, will continue to win in my, my opinion. So I think, you know, as marketing leaders, we just have to try and continue to lead from this space and ensure that our brand voices are inclusive and the stories we tell are authentic as well as relevant Um, because we really do have such a great opportunity to uplift and through what we put out in the media especially. So so for me in the next 12 months, it's all about continuing to improve on that diversity of thought that we engage to innovate and plan and develop Um, and more than ever just ensuring that empathy continues to play a really big role in that.
1: Wendy Walker Simo at Salesforce. Thank you so much. Thank you, Simone. Lovely to see you and lovely to have a chat. Thank you.